0: You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Let's turn our Bibles over to 1 John, chapter 1. And uh, so far we have made it through a couple of verses. We have considered uh, the author, John. We've looked at his life, again, noting that he uh, was the Apostle John, um, John who was used to write the book of Revelation, inspired also to write a gospel, the Gospel of John, inspired as well to write First John, which we're here studying, uh, and Second and Third John uh, as well. the uh, The recipients of the letter, Christians, churches specifically around the province of Asia Minor. Again, we noted that these churches, if you go to the book of Revelation, you open it up, and you see what Jesus has to say to these seven churches uh, in chapter 2 and 3, more than likely the same audience in mind. Um, So Laodicea and Smyrna and all all of those churches that are mentioned there, Ephesus and whatnot. But um, we noted that that, that these churches were facing some rather serious challenges. Now at the top of the list would have been false teaching from false teachers, and John will even note the fact that they were of us and left us. Uh, they, they, were, they were once part of the community of believers, but had kind of walked away, and they began to believe other things and teach other things that were contrary to sound doctrine. At the top of their inerrant teachings was their false view of Jesus Christ. The the ones that we will refer to as we're going through these studies are the Gnostics and and the Ascetics. They were the the more popular. There were other false teachers and other movements that we would look at as errant in that day and that time. But these are the two that John seems to be addressing. The Gnostics, of course, uh, they they believe that they were the, the ones that that knew all, they were the deep thinkers, and they had superior knowledge. Um, they believed that they, what they believed about God, what they believed about Jesus, was superior to anything the apostles ever had to say. Um, they believed that um, all material matter, all even our bodies, it's, it's just they're evil. And so there were different sects that broke off of Gnosticism and asceticism, And still under the veil of these movements, but there were different sects within these movements, and they just they they took it to the extreme. So one sect, of course, would say, Well, since our bodies are evil, they're always evil, they can never change, we gotta flog our bodies, we gotta deny our flesh, we gotta just really punish our flesh. Listen, in order to to gain a right standing, or to gain a spirituality, or to gain righteousness. Then there was another part of the sex more connected to the ascetics who believed that, well, the the soul and the body are two separate things. And since the body is evil and will always be evil, man, indulge. Just do whatever you want. Whatever you feel is what drove them to their indulgence. The the, the mind, which they believed was the seat of the emotion and the seat of, of, of the will, the thinking and whatnot, they said, well, with. With that, it, it, it's separate, you see. And so you can just kind of run with that and, and, and pursue whatever you wanted with that. But both, both of those movements believed, as they taught about Jesus, that, that he was not God in flesh, that he was an emanation of God, a vision at, at most, like a phantom figure. And so John, of course, as he's writing to these Christians living in that area, probably himself living in the area of Ephesus. Again, John, later in his life, writing probably his, his gospel when he was in his, his 50s or 60s, writing these letters, the letter of Revelation, the letter of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, well into his 90s. He's an aged guy now, with a heavy heart, writing to the churches, wanting them again to to know, uh, uh, to to get back to to who Jesus is. And again, in his gospel, we even saw that. So early on in his younger years, in his 50s, amen, when he was younger, yes, uh, he he was all about Jesus. His gospel was all about Jesus and and proving the fact that indeed he is God, giving eight miracles again that, that would clearly show that he is God. Then in his epistle here, He's still all about about Jesus, constantly pointing to Jesus, using the name of Jesus 11 times in this letter. The the, the phrase, the Son of God, in reference to Jesus, some 23 times. So we noted that in his gospel, his focus seemed to be on nonbelievers. Because at the end of that, at the end of giving these eight miracles that Jesus did, displaying that he was God, he would say, now, I could write many other things, but these things I have written that you might believe. So writing to non-believers and, and, and encouraging them that they might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And, and, and that in believing that, they would have life in his name. But as he writes to the, 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 this first letter here to the churches, he's writing with believers in mind. that that they would be assured of their salvation, that they would be assured of the eternal life that they have in Jesus Christ. And he would say that in John, uh, 1 John here, chapter 5, where he'd say in verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you, you, you may know, the assurance there, that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So he begins his letter with with a focus on Jesus. In chapter 1, verse 1, we noted the, this whole idea, going back to just the identity of Jesus, that which was from the beginning. It's a reference, again, we talked about to the pre-existence of, of Jesus. What was Jesus' role from the beginning of the material world? We, we gave that, that reference out of Colossians chapter 1, 16 and 18, where Paul clearly says and Scripture clearly teaches that he is the creator of all things and the sustainer of all things. And then in verse 17 of Colossians chapter 1, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And so when, when the, the material world began, when, when creation was created, Jesus was already there. Now, why does John bring that up? Because in saying that, It's supporting the fact that Jesus is God, that he is eternal God who has always been and is and forever will be. Then John, we saw, he he began to talk about when he and the disciples first encountered Jesus. In in verse 1, again, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have, have handled. He's like, okay, he, he wasn 't a phantom he wasn 't a vision he wasn 't an emanation of God man, this is a a reference to something we have personally witnessed we 've personally seen we 've personally heard and, and, and this is like from the very beginning when we first met him. We talked about it you know in our, our study last time, just what was it like to hear the voice of Jesus, the tones and the, the inflections of his his voice and whatnot but the idea was that in, in, in building a case that Jesus, as God, actually took on flesh, John just us, look, we were there. This is what we saw. This is what we heard. We talked about how, how they would have heard Jesus weep. How, how, how they would have heard him call them to follow him personally. They would have heard me- his messages. They would have heard the loud voice of Jesus when he was, you know, turning over the money changers' tables and saying, You've made my father's house a den of thieves. It should be a place of prayer. When he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forward from that tomb. They would have heard his loud voice. They would have heard him as he talked clearly and with with, with, with just deep passion about how he would. Die, giving the details about his death. And that three days later, he would raise from the dead. They could, they could tell you the day when he had a meal with them, and he looked us in the eye, and he said that one of us would, would, would betray him. We have heard him. They would have heard his voice before, he went to the cross, and they would have heard his voice after he was raised from the dead, walking on the earth for 40 days in his glorified body. John says, We've seen him. Again, John could go, I can tell you the color of his eyes. I, I could tell you the color of his hair. I, I could tell you how he walked. I I could tell you that the the, the look in his eyes and and the posture that came over him when he began to, to show compassion. I could tell you what it looked like when he reached out and touched a leper. I could tell you what it looked like when he delivered a demoniac, when he gave sight to the blind. And so in building a case that Jesus, as God, actually took on flesh, John's like, we've seen him, we've heard him. We've looked upon him. Our hands have, have handled him. Can't handle a phantom. Can't handle a vision. Can't handle this emanation of God. All of what the Gnostics and the ascetics were saying Jesus was. Mary and Joseph's chubby little baby lying in Bethlehem's manger was incarnation, it was God in flesh. This was a, a real body. That would really grow up and really be beaten and scourged and crucified, nailed to a cross. This is a real body that, that Joseph and Arimathea, of Arimathea and Nicodemus, would pull down again from that cross. This is a real body that they would wrap, a real body that bled and was bruised and was now wrapped and, and anointed and prepared for burial. It was a real body that would raise from the dead. Again, you can't handle a phantom or a, or a vision or a, an emanation, all what the Gnostics and, and the ascetics believed and taught about Jesus. So you're going to believe the, the eyewitness accounts after eyewitness account, or you're going to believe these folks who have never seen him and have never had a relationship with him. John says we've personally heard, personally seen, personally handled. And then the phrase there, we, we kind of landed the plane here last time, concerning the word of life. And that is an interesting title for Jesus. John gives us the same title for Jesus in his gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, now, to the Jew, the name of God was like so sacred, they would never use it in vain. They would never use it lightly. The, the, the reference to God's name that they would use in, in, in Hebrew would be Hashim. It was like just, they would, it means the name. In Aramaic, they would say Memra. In, in Greek, it was Logos. It was, it was the word. And the idea behind that was the expressed the expression of who God is. Jesus has this name, the Word, or the Word of Life here, because Jesus is to us what our words are to others. Our our words reveal to others what we think and what we feel. And so Jesus reveals to us the mind and the heart of God. He is the living means of communication between God and man. To know Jesus is to know God. And and, and the life, in verse 2 here he says, was manifest. The the life of Jesus, speaking about the person and and actually the life that he lived out. He's like, look, this wasn't some hidden thing, some mysterious thing. No, it was manifested. In the Greek it means to reveal openly. Openly. The person and his life was revealed openly. The person of, of Christ, who he is, God in flesh, revealed openly. The, the life of Christ, how he lived his life, and how he models his life to his followers, revealed openly. And Jesus' life that he modeled was a life in stark contrast to the life of, that would be lived by the people that were following the teachings of the Gnostics or the ascetics. His life was in stark uh, stark contrast to to any form of Gnosticism, asceticism, Judaism in that day, or any form of paganism in that day. You see that the Gnostics and the ascetics, they reduced the person of Christ to to, to something that was unable to redeem. They, they They reduced the person of Christ to something that was unable to save. They reduced the person of Christ to someone that was unnecessary to follow. Thus, they encouraged people to follow them. After all, they were the intellectual elitist. Again, the word Gnostic comes from a Greek word uh, to know. To, to know, the, the 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 gnosis. You put an A before that, and it's like to not know. Agnostic is someone that doesn't know. The Gnostic is the knower, the one that knows. But they took that as supreme knowledge. And the Gnostic would say, follow me, follow our ways. The Gnostics saying that the flesh is so evil, you just got to deny it or beat it or starve it or, or flog it. That's how you become spiritual. That's how you become righteous. The ascetics are like, no, 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 no. Hold on. Our soul and our emotions and our intellect, that's, that's all good. Only the body is evil. So indulge and, and follow your feelings. Live and let live. Think of the life that that would produce. Gnosticism, asceticism was like follow your feelings. Paganism said follow one of our many gods. Whoever you feel your God needs to be, fear that and follow that. Judaism said follow the law, keep the law, maintain the law, keep the traditions, maintain the traditions, for in that you find righteousness. But Jesus took on flesh walked in a lost world uh, filled with paganism and legalism and said, follow me, come to me, place your faith in me. To the legalist who who believed salvation was found through works, by by, by keeping the law, by keeping the traditions, Jesus would say, no, 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 salvation is not found in that. That's not found that. He would say that then, he would say that today. You remember in John chapter 3, the encounter that Jesus had with Nicodemus. He was a a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. This guy was like an accomplished in Judaism. But he came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, 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 listen. We we know that you are a teacher come from God because, you know, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus knew his audience and was, this was a, a legalist that was trying to just believe that he had right standing with God by, by virtue of his keeping laws and by virtue of his keeping traditions. And so, Jesus said to this Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, he got, he got right to the heart of the matter, and he's like, hey, Nicodemus, yeah. Well, unless, unless one is born again, he'll never see the kingdom of God. <laughs> Nicodemus is like, how, how, how can a man be born when he is old? You know, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? That's just where he went with it. And, and Jesus would say, no, no, no. Uh, unless one is born of the water. Yeah, we've got to be born. We've got to be in these bodies and whatnot but then of the Spirit. There's, a, there's another birth, a spiritual birth that you got to be thinking about here. This is a work of God, Nicodemus. Unless you are, you are born of the, of, the, of the body and then born of the Spirit, you're never going to enter the kingdom of God because that which is of the flesh is of the flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And, and don't be marveling that I said to you, you must be born again. I can remember in high school, You know, trying to hang out with all my surfer buddies and stuff. And I remember one of the first times it cut me to the heart when someone goes, Hey, Lance, you're one of those born againers. And and, and by reference of that, he was calling me an extremist in front of my friends. And I got embarrassed. I remember that. I remember being embarrassed by someone saying, Oh, you're one of those guys that are like born again. I remember being embarrassed. I'm not anymore. I, I, I've been educated. I went through my Bible and realized hey, Jesus is like, unless you're born again, you're not going into heaven, Lance. I am born again and <laughs> proud of it. <laughs> I'm a born againer. Jesus made it very clear to a legalist. He made it very clear that He is God because He would say, in, 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 in that same chapter, in chapter 3, verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who's in heaven, referred to himself as the Messiah, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man, referring to himself as the Messiah, must be lifted up. Listen. That whoever believes in him should not perish, should not live eternally apart from God, but have everlasting life with God. And that's what he's like, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. That's the message to the legalist. And he's like, he who believes in him is the one that's not condemned. But he who does not believe in him is is condemned already, Nicodemus, because he has not believed in the the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's what he would have to say to the legalist. In that day and in this day. If if salvation was found through works and, and keeping traditions, there would be no need for Jesus taking on flesh and going to the cross. Now, for those that were caught up in paganism, in the New Testament era, they had their their Greek gods, they had their their Roman gods. There was a plethora of of gods. Ishtar was the goddess of war. They they had Kronos, which was the the Greek god of time. They had Jupiter, which which was the god of the sky. They had Artemis, which was the Greek god of fertility or childbirth. They had Diana, which was the Roman goddess. And, And her temple in Ephesus was so massive and so sought by her followers around the Roman Empire that it would become one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. We're talking about serious idolatry here. There was Zeus, the chief god. Then can go on and on. There was Pan, the, the god of, of agriculture. So, so what did Jesus have to say to the idolater of his day? Well, you remember when he was walking through Caesarea Philippi up north in Matthew chapter 16, he was walking through the area that was just the, the epicenter of pan worship. And we all remember the, 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 the picture of what pan looked like. He had like a goat-like head and a, and a horse body and he held the, the pan flute. You remember all that? We derive our English word panic from that. And in that area, there's still to this day, as we take tours up in there, there's all kinds of idols and, 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 just, and, 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 and altars, I should say, and, and areas where you can go and, and see where Jesus walked through and what he looked at when he was walking with his disciples through the area of Caesarea Philippi and going, wow, man, these guys are really still worshiping a lot of idols and pagan gods. Their altars were everywhere. Well, what did Jesus, what did he think about that? And what did he have to say about that? It was with his disciples that he would be like, hey, guys, this is important. Who do men say that I am in that setting? Put yourself in that setting walking with him. And I take it this way. When I do tours through there, I, I teach this study, and I'm like, it would be like Jesus walking around saying, man, I see what men believe deity To be? What do men see me as? What what do men see me as? And that's a great question. And you're walking through, you know, the epicenter of of paganism. How are people actually looking at me? And and, and it was, you know, a brilliant question to ask. And the disciples were like, some like, ah, you know, now that you bring it up, some. So you're like Elijah returned back or John the Baptist and whatnot. And then he personalizes this. This is how Jesus deals with paganism. He cuts right to the heart of paganism just like he cut right to the heart of legalism. Because he doesn't want us to be wrong about him. Because salvation, righteousness, right standing, and eternal life hinges on how we see him. How we view what he offers us. So he cuts right to the heart of paganism. And he says, okay, some are thinking, you know, I'm John the Baptist, come back from the dead. or Elijah, one of the prophets? Yeah, okay. And then he, he cuts right to the heart by personalizing this. And this is the most important question any of us will ever answer. Who do you say that I am? That's it. And it comes down to that. If, if you're like the Judaizers, another group, that would, would, would creep into the church and bring in false teachings to the church, they believed that Jesus was God. They, they, they did. The Judaizers in that day, they believed that Jesus was God, and they believed that, that salvation was provided from him, through him, but they believed that your salvation wasn't complete. They believed that in order for your salvation to be complete, for you to really be saved, you're almost saved, but now you, re- you put faith in him, you're almost saved, you really want to be saved? And they would list off all of these rules and regulations that were rooted in Judaism. you got to eat this way, you got to follow these traditions, you got to do these laws, all this kind of stuff. And so Jesus would say to the isms of his day, you all have, have taken something from me or added something to me. And what, what the isms have done has tried to limit who he is. That's what they've done. Don't follow him, follow us. And the isms of his day whether it's paganism, Judaism, you know, Gnosticism, asceticism, all the isms of his day are no different than the isms of our day. Where they're trying to limit who Jesus is or add something to who he is. So Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter with a legalist. And he cuts right to the heart of the matter when he's in the realm of the epicenter of paganism. And he says, who do you say that I am? Personalize that. And so as we're going through the, this epistle that John wrote, he's writing to people who have bought into teachings that say something other about Jesus. They, 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 they say he's something other than who he actually was. And what that does is it, it limits who he is in your life. It limits why he came and what he had to offer in your life. If you believe that Jesus is just some vision, a vision can't save you. If you believe he's a phantom, a phantom can't save you. If you believe he's an emanation of God, like just, oh, he just represented somehow as a phantom the love of God or the the, the traits of God, that is not going to save you. And if you you follow the, 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 the legalist, If you follow Judaism, then then basically you're saying, we really don't need Jesus. It wasn't easy for a, uh, it wasn't difficult for a Jew in that day to write off Jesus and discount him as a Messiah, because in their mind and in their heart, they believed that salvation was something they themselves earn. So who are you to tell me I need you? And so Jesus is like, again, who do you say that I am? And, and, and Peter got it right. He spoke up. And you're, you, are, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. And, and, and Jesus is like, hey, 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 you're correct. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Paganism. Legalism. The life of Jesus was not hidden. It was manifest. It was revealed openly who he is God in flesh revealed openly how he lived his life what he modeled for his for his followers to follow what 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 he expected from his followers as far as putting faith in him believing in him for forgiveness of sins and and for salvation and for eternal life that wasn't hidden that was revealed openly If you were God, how would you reveal yourself to men? How could you tell them about and give them the kind of life that you wanted them to enjoy? How would you do that? God has revealed himself through creation, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, but creation alone could never tell us the story of God's love. God has also revealed himself through the prophets. He has also revealed himself more fully in his word, the Bible. But God's final and, and, and most complete revelation is in his son, Jesus. That's why the writer of Hebrews would say in Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 3, God, who at various times in a different way spoke in times past by the fathers, by the prophets, But as in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, verse 3, who Jesus, speaking of Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the expressed image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. That phrase, the brightness or radiance of his glory, is the idea that Jesus reflects God's attributes, just, just as the sunlight reflects the sun. He is the expressed image of his person. The idea behind that is he is the exact representation of God's nature. The, the expressed image is the character, the, the exact representation. It, it's he is God. He is in the very form of God. In John 14, verse 9, it was Philip who said, To Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus is like, hey, guys, Philip, man, have I I been with you so long, and and yet you don't know? You don't know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. You're looking at deity. In Christ, the invisible God, who is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in Christ, the, the invisible God became visible. This is what John is talking about in our text. God has always expressed himself to man through creation, through prophets, through his written word. But the ultimate way for God to express himself to mankind is not through a letter or through a spokesman. The ultimate way to express himself is to be there himself. So God becomes a man. That's what John talked about in his epistle in John 1.14, where the word became flesh and dwelt among us the incarnation. I know it's early, but Merry Christmas. We'll be there in about a month. (laughs) Then it it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, you want to see God? Look to Jesus. He is the full, final, and complete revelation of God. Then then in verse 2 again here, that the life was manifest. We've seen, we've heard, we bear witness, and we declare to you that eternal life. Another phrase. The idea is speaking about Jesus, he has no beginning. He's not created. He is divine, which was with the Father and was manifest to us. John's like, listen, we are, we are not passing on some secondhand you know, religious experience that's inherited from somebody else or something we just discovered in some book. No, we are declaring what, what myself and the other disciples personally and intimately experienced with Jesus for three and a half years, that eternal life, that eternal God, that which was with the Father and was manifest to us. Everything the Father wanted us to know and experience regarding His plan for redemption, His plan for sanctification or holiness or living the life apart from this world and unto Him, uh, everything that He wanted us to know regarding His plan for eternal life was manifested and delivered to us in His Son, through His Son. You can't top that. Gnosticism cannot top that. No pagan can top that. No Jew can top that. How can you beat the Father's revelation? You can't. And yet false teachers of their day and false teachers of our day are trying again to reduce the person of Christ to something that is unable to redeem, powerless to save, and unnecessary to follow. And the Mount of Transfiguration. In Luke's account in chapter 9, verses 4 and 7, it says that, that Jesus just, he just like, let me reveal my glory to you, Peter, James, and John, They're like, whoa. It, it, just, it just shined. His, his 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 radiance was like the bolt of lightning brightness and, and his clothes and whatnot. And there was Moses and Elijah appears and and, and, and Peter says to Jesus. Man, this is good for us to be here. You know, this is, you know, if, if, if you wish, let, maybe we never leave. Let us just like make three tabernacles. You know, this would be great. You know, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And, and, and isn't that just so human nature? We just want to make temples. Just like tabernacles and just, let's just stay here and no need for you to go down and that whole cross thing. Let's just hang out here with these guys. This is really cool. But no, 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 that wasn't what that was about. As he was speaking there's this cloud that just overcomes Mount Hermon there, and, and it overshadowed all of them, and then all of a sudden, a voice cracks thunderously from the heavens, and it's the voice of the Father, the voice of the Father, saying, "This is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And that's the idea. I have given him to you to reveal me and my plan to you hear him when the disciples heard it they fell on their faces (laughs) they were freaked out man but jesus came and touched them and says arise don't be freaked out and when they they lifted their eyes and this is the goal when they lifted their eyes they saw no one but jesus only and that's the idea can we agree with that? Amen. Yeah, that's a good thing, man. You know, it, it, we, can, we can have our eyes set on, you know, Jesus plus something. We could have our eyes set on, like, uh, away from Jesus. We could come to a church like this, and we could, we could be, we could, we, could, we could worship ourselves in a place like this. It'd be hard, but you could. You could worship, worship. You could be all about worship and never think about Jesus. You go, man, I like this sound. I could, I could worship music. I could come here and, 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 and just have my intellect. Oh, man, I could worship history. Man, that guy up there, he gives a lot of historical background. I could just be all about that. I could be all about a historical person that I don't believe is God. I could be about all kinds of like religious stuff and be in tune with all of that and know all of that and actually in my mind believe that somehow my church attendance, like the more I come right now, the more I'm in right standing with God. Man, the more I give or the more I do and you could be just like the Judaizers, the legalist of that day where you feel like somehow you're earning your way into right standing with God. If that were the case again, there would have been no need to send Jesus. We need a mount of transfiguration experience with Jesus. That's what we need. We need him to reveal his glory in such a way where we are just like done. We're on our face, done with everything else, and when we get up, it's all about him only. Not about Calvary Chapel. It's not about committed. It's not about the good old days. It's not about this day. It's about the person of Christ. And it's about the life that he modeled, that which the Father manifests to us so we can see him and know him and put our faith in him and have our lives transformed by him and begin to follow him in the newness of the life that he gives us. It's all about the eternity that he offers. It's all about coming to God on his terms and embracing the person of Christ, not a movement, not a religion, not an ism, not the traditions of man, not the laws of man, but the person, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Whenever someone teaches something that contradicts the Bible, they're saying that they know more than God. God, who pointed to his Son and said, Hear him. When someone says and teaches something other than the Bible, they're saying they know more than God. They're saying, hear me. That's foolishness. And that's what John's saying. Let's follow the one that was the revelation of the Father, the one has always been and is and forever will be. Let's follow him. Not these men who are saying, follow us. That which was with the Father and was manifest to us, and, and, and we're declaring this to you, and he's declaring it for a reason, verse 3, that, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, again, that word fellowship, koinonia in the Greek, it means to have in common. It means in, in a more proper use here in this, this passage, it means intimate communion. Intimate communion. John is saying that this intimate communion that we had with Jesus, well, we now want others to experience the same thing. Jesus came to manifest himself to a world. He came. To manifest himself, not just to us 12 apostles. No, he came to manifest himself to a world. To the rich, to the poor, to, to, to male, to, to female, to educated, to uneducated, to, to slave, to free. He came to manifest himself to the Jew and the Gentile. He became to manifest himself to every pagan worshiper and idolater from one side of the world to the other. To every generation. So the idea is that every one of us can have as close of a relationship with God as we want. A wonderful, meaningful, personal, love-based relationship that he offers us through his son. There are those that will look at John and the other apostles and they'll say, well, if I had a chance to walk with Jesus as you did and see what he did and handle him and hear what he had to say, well, then I would be just as sold out and, and, you know, for God you know, like, like those guys. Really. If you, if you go through the Gospels, you, you, you see countless thousands of people who saw Jesus do miracles and walked away and didn't believe. They heard his sermons. And they just walked away and didn't believe. They 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 would have heard his 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 voice, they would have seen with his eyes their eyes, deity on display, but they walked away and chose not to believe. They never entered into intimate communion with him. The disciples. They entered into this intimate communion with God. Through Jesus, because they believed in Jesus. Not in an ism. Not in the traditions of man. Not in some other God, as, as the pagans. But they believed in Jesus, the Son of God. And this fellowship, this intimate communion with Jesus, John's like, it's available now. The fellowship with God through Christ, this, this work of the Holy Spirit, it, it's not the result of some experience in the flesh It's available by way of new birth. This is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. you got to be born again. If you want this intimate communion with God through Jesus, we, like the disciples, must believe in Jesus. We can know him now. We can experience his forgiveness now. We can experience his peace and his comfort now. We can experience his presence now. Now, we can hear him speak now through his word. We can see him work in people's lives now. But again, we've got to come to God on his terms. Again, first John 5:11 through 13. And this is the t- testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you again. He's writing all this stuff down. That that, that written, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Again, the Christian life. Christian Christ, with the Latin suffix, I-A-N, means the follower of Christ, those who believe and follow Christ. The Christian life and eternal life is all about believing and and knowing who Jesus is. And John's like, we can't have false teachers in our day defining that because they'll get it wrong, and they've got it wrong. And we read this 2,000 years later, we realize we can't have false teachers defining this in our day. Jesus made this clear with the pagans, and Jesus made it clear with the Jews. He made it clear with with the the, the legalist. He, He made it clear with his disciples, very clear with his disciples. In John chapter 14, verse 6, you know, after Jesus was Talking about leaving them, and I'm in my father's house, or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, but I'm gone. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you know, I'll be also. And Thomas, of course, he had a hard time with that. It, it, give me more details. And it was at that point in verse six where Jesus is like, Listen, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man will ever come to the Father but by me. Jesus made it very clear. <laughs> If John's just not making this stuff up, these are things that he heard Jesus say. The Christian life and the eternal life is all about believing and knowing who Jesus is. Jesus made it clear with the the, the pagans. He made it clear with the Jews. He made it clear with his disciples. And even made it clear with some of his friends. It was in John chapter 11 where Jesus would encounter Mary who was a a close friend of, of their family. Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Lazarus, their brother, had died. And when he encountered actually Martha there in, in, in Bethany, grieving over the death of, of her brother Lazarus, Jesus said, Your brother will rise again. And she's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know that all will rise in the, the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus' is like, Hold on. He's like, oh, I want you to think through this. This is a friend. And he's making it, it very clear that eternal life and life in his name, it's all about putting faith in him now to a friend, a heart-to-heart conversation in a, in a very you know, vulnerable moment. He's like, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, not the isms of our day, he who believes in me, man, though he die, he shall live, talking about Eternal life. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Live eternally. And then the question to a friend, do you believe this? Do you believe what I'm saying about me? Do Do you believe what I'm saying I will do, what I can produce? As it relates to salvation, as it relates to eternal life. And she said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are. And it was an interesting response. I believe that you are the Christ. I believe that you are the Christos. I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Listen who has come into this world. I believe in the incarnation. I believe that you are God in flesh. I believe that you are God in flesh, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that is able to give people eternal life. Interesting. Jesus made this very clear up until the end. You know, that, you know some of the last Things that Jesus had to say, all these statements on the cross are some of the the best sermons, man. But, But Jesus was making it clear as to who he was and as to what he had to offer relating to eternal life and salvation. Even at the very end, it was one of the criminals that were hanging there that blasphemed him. Two thieves, one on either side. One of them just blaspheming him, and said, "If you are the Christ, save yourself and us." Thinking all about himself, that the other answered and rebuked that thief, and he's like, "Do you not even fear God?" Which is a way of saying, "I do. I fear God. I, I fear God, man." He's like, "We indeed justly." For we receive due reward for our deeds. We deserve what we're getting. But this man has done nothing wrong. He saw Jesus for who he was. And he's like, Lord, <laughs> Lord, remember me when you, are in, you come into your kingdom. That's Belief. And Jesus said to that man who put his faith in him on that cross, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Long before any of our modern-day denominations would be formed, Jesus made it clear that salvation would be the result of putting faith in him alone and the work that he would accomplish on the cross. This is what Paul would echo in Ephesians 2.89. Where you'd be like, for by grace we are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's, 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 it's a gift of God. It's not of your works. Lest you would run around and boast about that. And finally in verse 4. and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. You know, these first Four verses are kind of like the introduction. It took us like four weeks to get through this. But, but in these opening verses, you, just, you see a couple of like the key purposes in John writing the letter. He's like, hey, I, I'm writing this so that you might know who Jesus is and that you might enter into this intimate fellowship with him, which allows you to have the same intimate fellowship that we have with him. And that brings us into intimate fellowship with, with one another. But but, but now he also says, I'm writing this so that your joy may be found. So the question would be, where is joy found? In knowing Jesus well. In knowing him well. There is no joy in Gnosticism, no joy in asceticism, Judaism, paganism, or any of the isms of our day. There is no joy to be found in anything that replaces Jesus or adds to Jesus. In the early church, again, you know, there, were, there were those that liked to, to add to Jesus, the Judaizers and, and whatnot. But it was Paul who would even look at that in, in, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. He's like, look it, I've been crucified with Christ. It's an identification thing he's talking about. It's, it's, it's not I who live, but, but now Christ who lives within me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he said this. This is very important. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness came through the law, by me keeping the law, I would find right standing with God, then Christ died in vain. Warren Wiersbe said, Fellowship is Christ's answer to the loneliness of life. Where joy is Christ's answer to the emptiness of life. Joy is not something that we manufacture ourselves. Joy is a wonderful byproduct of our fellowship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Galatians 5, we know it is a fruit of the Spirit. David knew the joy which John mentions here when he said in Psalm 1611, In your presence is fullness of joy. How many of you guys know that that, that sin is the cause of unhappiness? <laughs> and, and it just it's overwhelming this world today. How many of you guys know that's sin? Yeah. And sin promises joy, but it produces sorrow. The pleasure of sin is temporary at best. Like the writer of Hebrews would say about Moses in Hebrews 11, 24, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. I like the way that the Bible describes sin, the passing pleasure of sin. And, and and he was like, he esteemed, you know, the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked toward that reward. The life that is real through a relationship with Christ that is real produces a joy that is real. Jesus said. In John 16:22, the night before his crucifixion. Therefore, y- you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you." Amen. What a promise, man. Yeah, joy tied to him, a relationship with him. John 15, 5-6, Jesus, he talks about this intimate connection he wants with us, with his followers. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him is going to bear much fruit. And guys, understand, without me, you can do nothing. And then in verse 7 and 8, he's like, if you abide in me, my words... Abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you would bear much fruit. And this is how people are going to know you're my disciples. So abide in me, abide in my word. Then in verse 9 in in John 15, he's like, as the Father loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus is all about like, man, you need to be as connected to me as, as a vine is into this, this branch kind of connection. And when that happens, my word will, will just just move through you as the life of of a, of a, you look at a vineyard and you look at the stump in the ground and it comes up and you see all of these branches and you, you know that the life in that trunk is produced through the branches and, and there, there's fruit, there's evidence that that life actually is produced through those branches. And even we went on to say it part of that, he's like, and the, the branches that don't produce fruit, there's evidence there's no life. Those are just kind of cut off and thrown away and burned in a fire. But the evidence... The evidence is like you're, you're abiding in me, you're abiding in my word, and you're abiding in my love. Okay, that's this is important. Just picture that. You're connected. There's the evidence of that. And then he says in verse 11, on the heels of all of that, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Wow. Karl Marx wrote, the first requisite for the people's happiness is to abolish religion in the land. Karl Marx, communist with a socialistic kind of thinking, is like, you, you, you don't need to follow anybody but but me. Follow the dictators that will dictate over your life. And, and He believed quite convincingly over the masses that that one of the the threats that communism would face, one of the greatest threats, threats that it would face would be freedom. Freedom for a person to pursue another authority over their life. Freedom for that person to speak about that or to print that. And so all of that needs to be abolished. And listen, he said, in order for you to find happiness. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Happiness is found in me. You're going to need me. You can't abolish me. You can't write me off. You can't add to me. You can't remove me. If you want joy and joy that will be full, you need to find me, believe in me, follow me, Abide in me. Abide in my word. Abide in my love. And you will have a joy that that I've promised. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for... Salvation for eternal life that you offer us. Thank you for revealing yourself. Thank you for the incarnation, for taking on flesh, dwelling among us, so that you might die for us. And for any that are here, oh man, or those that are listening online, and you've you've never put your faith in Jesus, you never come to God on his terms just quickly, I would ask you to confess that to God. Just tell Him right now, I have, I have not come to you on your terms and accepted your Son as God in flesh, as Savior to the world, and as Savior in my life. But if you'd like to do that, I'd like you just to... Continue talking to God and say, I, I realize this morning who Jesus is. And I, I come to you now, Father, on your terms. I realize that salvation is a free gift. And I want that free gift. I want Jesus right now. So in your way, you invite Jesus. Say, Jesus, come into my life. <laughs> men. we can have that intimate fellowship with him right now. He's here. He's listening. He won't force himself, force his love on anybody. He won't force forgiveness on anybody. If you want true forgiveness, you want to experience the love of God, the joy of God, the forgiveness of God, it's through his son. Receive all of that by receiving him right now and say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Ask God to fill you with his spirit. And in your way, right now and throughout this day, if you've prayed that simple prayer, and I mean this, and I know God does, he deserves this, you continue thanking him for getting your attention and for saving you this morning. And you follow his son passionately, fervently for the rest of your life. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day.